Get running this fall at Dunkin' with $2 medium iced coffees from 2 to 6 p.m. Try any of Dunkin's delicious iced coffee, like their signature original blend. Or treat yourself to mocha, caramel, or the fall favorite, pumpkin. Always freshly brewed, made just the way you like it. Make time for happy hour and enjoy a $2 medium iced coffee from 2 to 6 p.m. Washington, D.C. runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Limited time offer. Exclusions apply. My guest today is Tanya McKenzie, and she is a leader in PR and the host of a very popular and must-have Twitter spaces called PR Lunch Hour, which is every Friday, 10 o'clock my time, uh, noon Eastern time. And she is also the owner of the PR and leadership consulting firm Sand and Shores, vice president of Black PR Society. She sits on the board of the police engagement board and is a Los Angeles County Commissioner of Human Resources. She has two podcasts, is an author and a co-author. Man, did I leave anything out, Tanya? <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, who is she talking about? Who does all that? <laughs> nothing, nothing at all. Thank you well, for having me today. Well, it's a pleasure to have you. I'm so glad to meet face to face. So um, let's start a little bit at the beginning. You have had a crazy backstory. A reviewer of your book, A Child's Memory of Cartoons and Murders, says you were dealt a bad hand. Well, I looked at that and I thought, wow, <laughs> that's kind of an understatement. So how much of that are you willing, are you under, comfortable sharing? I guess the, the question would be, how much of it do you want me to share? Because I'm actually all in on my story. You all know? right. I, it Whatever took me a while. Do. Yeah, to, it, takes, it takes a while to get comfortable with what your story is. And I think that's probably a big part, a big problem in public relations is sometimes people aren't even comfortable with their whole story. Right. But to be effective, you do have to embrace all of what makes you who you are. So when I was five years old, um, let me start with this. I love my mom. I don't want it. I don't want that to get twisted um, in any part of the story. I love my mother and I think she loved me. I just don't think everybody that's a parent loves being a parent. I don't think she loved being a mom. And what I mean by that is, you know, with any job, you have duties. You might want the rewards of the duties and of the title, but not necessarily to have to carry out all those duties. And the lifestyle that she lived did not work well with motherhood. So her boyfriends and the people that she surrounded herself with were those that, you know, probably shouldn't have been around kids. Uh, regardless of that, uh, she did she did the best she could. At five years old, I was. Um, a witness to gun violence. She was shot and her husband, her boyfriend was murdered in front of me and his son. We would eventually be in a federal witness protection program um, while that trial resolved. My mom actually perjured herself on the stand uh, because she was trying to protect the person that shot her, which happens to be a family member who was also in the streets. And our family was pressuring her to you know, lie to protect him. So I think a lot of families uh, have that code, right? We protect each other no matter what. 
And she did that. So after we got out of federal witness protection program, we actually spent time in a federal prison for women with children because now she had to deal with a perjury charge. And through all of this, you know, I'm five, six, seven, eight. Uh, I probably had about 21 residents before I was 18 and moved out um, to go to college and had encountered law enforcement over a hundred times, none in which were my fault. And a few times I called myself. You know, I used to use the phone where you dialed the zero. And <laughs> so I wrote about this um, in my book, but I really, you know, try to take my readers back to a moment that can resonate with them. And I will just never forget. And it wasn't even my mom's situation. It was my grandmother. So I came from a family of domestic violence. You learn that domestic violence isn't just spouse on spouse, right? It's not just boyfriend, girlfriend. Uh, my grandmother used to get hit by her brothers and the men in our family would hit the women because they just thought it was okay. Um, so there was times where I was a child and I would hide and go call the police because I was scared. I didn't want anything to happen to the women in my life. And of course, um, that's scary for any child. So, you know, with that being said, my upbringing was incredibly tumultuous and I went for a long time thinking that that was normal. Like, I just thought that's how it's supposed to be. Probably until I got into maybe my high school years where I started recognizing like my friends don't go through this kind of stuff. Um, but I knew that at some point I needed to talk about the things that I had been through, not so much for myself, but for other young people that might be dealing with this type of thing and not sure how to navigate out of that, right? I started recognizing, as I got older, I started coaching actually young girls, probably had to be in my late 20s. Um, I didn't even have kids at, at that time, but I started coaching these young girls, high school coaching, cheerleading, and they would start acting out. And I would, you know, instead of just getting mad at them, I would start having conversations with them just to recognize. And all of them did not look like me. They were, you know, different colors, shapes, faces. Uh, they had some crazy stuff going on in their backgrounds. Now, my story is out of control. Many of them had elements of my story and didn't know kind of what to do and how to act and how to feel about certain things. So, you know, I really started sharing um, once I got a little more, a little older and recognized that a lot of people have trauma in their background they one might not recognize that it is trauma. So they don't know what to call it. They don't know that they probably need help dealing with it. Um, some of my PTSD started coming out when I was in college and my friends used to think I was crazy. And now when I get older, I'm like, no, actually when I used to leave parties, it was because I don't like being in situations that can become volatile, you know? So it gives it shape. Uh, and I started writing and telling my story basically to let people know when you're having moments or you've been through some things, it's okay to talk about it. And it's not necessarily who you are. It's a part of who you become based on how you've been able to cope with it. But you're not responsible for other people's decisions that you didn't have any, any choice in. And how you recover from it really is your opportunity to kind of 
pave a path for yourself. So it, it gave me pleasure to write the book. Um, I actually did my own Barnes and Noble book tour about two years ago. And uh, it has been very eye-opening in regards to how a large portion of our population has some kind of trauma in their background. It was a joy to write that. That, Yeah, I would think it would be difficult to write. Understanding why I was doing it, every time I was, there were difficult parts. There right. were parts that were difficult to write. But every time I would get through those, it was it was like invigorating again, right? I was sexually assaulted um, by my uncle and again in college. The one in college I actually forgot about until I started writing. Mm. So I got stuck. But I had a goal. I was going to do it. I dealt with it again. And I got through it. And that felt so good because it's like a victory, right? It's like, I'm not, this is not going to hold me back. This is, I got, I got shit to do. This is not about to keep me from doing what I'm trying to do. So that felt amazing. And to put words to some of the feelings, like, I think that's the hardest part of writing sometimes. It's like, I don't even know what to call this thing. But when you're able to get through that, and find the words that resonate with your readers and feel good about that. Like for me, that was like, that was big. Mm -hmm. So when did everything change for you as an adult? Um, how did you, what, what was the thing that made you kind of steer your life into the direction that you're in now? I think growing up. Um, through all of this trauma, I knew what I didn't want my life to be, right? So looking at when things go on in your life, and you're just, even now, things go on in your life, and you're just like, oh, I hate this. Or <laughs> what about that situation do you hate? What about that situation drives you nuts? What about that thing that your mom did would you never do? Or how how is this the relationship between you and your siblings how would you change that? So instead of like, you know, being super depressed about it, it was always in my mind, this is what I don't want to happen. And I actually use that method like with my own kids, right? I, I do have some people in my family or we have people around us or in our community that might not be doing the best thing. Or let's say my son's in high school and he has some a friend that got arrested or, or something of that nature. The conversation is, how do you not become that? How does that situation not become you? How do you not let that particular situation influence your life or become a part of your life? So even as a young person, it was always, this is a hot mess. <laughs> I'm never doing that. Um, I'll give you an example. My uncle, one of my uncles, actually two of them, they always smelt absolutely horrible, okay? like. <laughs> terrible. And they always had girlfriends though. They always had girlfriends and women that used to be up under them. Girl, they used to smell so bad. I would take my uncle's shoes when he would take them off and just go take them outside. And then I'd be like, what kind of woman sits up under this man who acts like he's allergic to deodorant? I would never do that. You see, it's just like, 
No. So this is already starting to shape who I decide I want to deal with as an adult, right? Who I want to be as an adult, what kind of people I want to be around as an adult. I don't want to be around him. And I definitely don't want to be around her that accepts his type of behavior. Mm. It was really just a matter of deciding what you want, what you don't want in your life and making plans and not being deterred from that. But in all honesty, um, outside of that, as I got older and you know, you're in college and you're getting older, you're about to graduate and you decide what kind of life you want, who you want in it. There were things I was doing that was a little toxic and I could see myself going down that path that could turn into something I definitely didn't want. So being able to pull back from that and stick to, I'm not going to accept anything other than the way I see my life and not necessarily like material things, but just, you know, joy and communication and security. I, I was someone that grew up in a lack of security. You know, it was police all the time or moving all the time, understanding what it takes to have security, joy and peace in your life. And then deciding to continuously move down that path, self-correct when you see it's going awry, still finding ways to enjoy life and not give up on the things that you want. That was really a, just a young adult thing as your life starts to shape at the beginning of the career, you know, beginning of your love life. What does that look like? How does it feel to you? Does that feel good? And I, and I tell my kids that, you know, I have twins and I'm like, so when they're fighting and they want me to break it up and I just say, how did that feel to you? Like, do you like that? Do you like how that feels between y'all? Cause sometimes y'all get along, you know, that feeling of love. So I try to give words meaning and feeling. And, um, you know, I've been married for 20 years now. So I think I, I think I did okay. Yeah, that's, that's a long time in my books. <laughs> now we did grow up together. Like we had to gr grow we were young adults and you know, we're not as young as we used to be, but recognizing that relationships, friends and lovers are growth. You grow together. But that's one of the things I saw and I took from, you know, the other adulting relationships that I saw as a kid is people grow apart. How do they grow apart? They stop communicating. They stop bringing each other into their separate worlds. They stop um, having empathy for one another based on selfish wants and needs. So really just modeling my behavior off of the things that I saw that I wanted and definitely the things I saw I didn't want. So why PR? Why did you choose public relations? Storytelling. I mean, it was either that or stand-up comedy. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I'm going to do with all these stories. What am I going to do with all these stories? I can't leave with them. I mean, no, I started recognizing again when um, I, I was dealing with the kids at the high schools and even some, you know, of my college friends, everybody has a story. Um, I, I am, that is, puts me in awe. I am still in awe of the fact that everyone has a story because I grew up thinking I'm the only one that has a story and it's ridiculous. <laughs> but as you get older and the more you talk to people and get to know people, you realize like some people have some amazing stories, stories of victory, stories of recovery, 
stories of resilience. She just loves stories. Like being able to tell, help other people tell their stories, to connect with other people that get it is huge for me because I was someone that grew up not believing that my story resonated with anybody. Well, and, and with, uh, with that too, you look at some of the clients that you have and some of the people that I've worked with, uh, I've worked with a lot of athletes, coaches, and celebrities, they actually pose a unique challenge when telling their stories mm -hmm. because there are copyright issues, their faces, their faces is, are kind of like their logos. And um, a lot of them have handlers. So does you your firm handle that aspect of the handling after they retire or do you just work on their pr and um also how is the stuff that they deal with a little bit different than say you know a corporate client or or another another high profile client you know teaching people that particularly personalities that you are your brand. You are your brand. It doesn't matter what your website says, what you do in the public eye matters. What you say matters. The words that you use and choose matter. So we definitely work on understanding that concept, showing, showing different ways how that concept can hurt or help, right? You actually have more control over who decides to um, know, like, and trust you than your website. Because your website's gonna say something, but what they hear coming out of your mouth is absolutely more important. What they see you doing in the community is absolutely more important. And your actions and your words are gonna be a lot more powerful than any verbiage that you can put on a website. So yeah, we have to work on that. We have to work on messaging. We have to work on um, how you integrate all of your personalities, all of your talents, and even some of your deficiencies in who you are and what you're giving off to the community. How that is different than organizations, you know, for let's say a police department or a, a politician, teaching them to speak to their target market. They don't even think about that. Like mm -hmm. they're not my, there's my constituents. I just tell them what I want them to know. That's not how it works. If you want them to trust you. So you can have that attitude. You can have that idea. And it's very old school because before social media, it was like that. It was, yeah. they just, they just take whatever I give them. They, they take whatever flyer comes to their house and they read that. They take this mailer and they bank on whatever it says on this mailer, but we're in a new day and age. The hard part about that is many of the people that, you know this, people that are in government, they've been there forever. <laughs> and it's hard to change people's mindsets in regards to how they do things, even how they communicate. Okay, funny story. My grandmother got divorced when she was 50. I think everybody had a nervous breakdown me the worst because I thought I was like 18, 16 or something. I was like, oh my God, people get divorced. They're about to die. They're 50. They're about to die. What are you doing? I can't do this. What's going on? Eventually her and I have a conversation. She tells me why she's getting a divorce and I, I got it. 
But I also realized that, yeah, you can change as you get older if you want to. So now there's that, right? Who wants to who wants to change? Well, this has been working for me for 30 years. I've been in this job for 30 years. Now you want to come tell me how to do my job? Um, yeah, kind of. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is if you want better results, then you have to give a better product. And recognizing that you as an agency is a brand and your target audience is the community in which you serve, that's a whole mind shift. So being able to shift the minds, which usually require some gargantuan amount of proof that this works, trust me, it'll work. And then cultivating them to change the behavior so that we can start delivering content and messages that get that point across. It's just no longer, this is what I said and this is what you believe. You already know that with law enforcement, they're basically like, we don't believe none you say, I don't care. <laughs> Okay, Tanya, help us. Okay, I will if you promise to listen and try. And at the end of the day, I think for communities that want things to be better, they're willing to try if they see that you're doing the work. What does that look like? Transparency. What does that look like? Proof. What does that look like? Actions over words. So it's really an opportunity to cultivate better relationships with the community that they serve when you're talking about a personality. Hi, my name is Joe and I'm a home decor overspender. Hi, Joe. I made a breakthrough. I found HomeSense. It's unreal. So many brand name sofas. I bought one. Oh, wow, really? It's okay. Yeah. The price is so low. Lighting, unexpected. Rugs, handcrafted. Wall art, eclectic. I go back like every week. <gasps> no, it's always different. New unique decor. Same great savings. Every time you go. Field trip. HomeSense. Standout pieces. Outstanding prices. You might have noticed a change in your neighborhood lately. Yep, Sprint stores are now T-Mobile stores. Now that Sprint is T-Mobile, you get more coverage, value, and benefits than ever before. We've invested billions to bring our 5G from big cities to small towns across America. And great coverage is just the start. From high-speed mobile hotspot data to weekly deals and giveaways, our customers get tons of great benefits. Head to your new T-Mobile store to learn more. Qualifying service and capable device required. Coverage not available in some areas. Some uses may require certain plan or features. See T-Mobile.com. You know, just getting them to recognize, no, you can't go on Twitter or Instagram, just say some wild stuff because that's what you're feeling. And then think that people aren't going to come back at you and check you on that thing you said or tweet it. Right. It's it's dynamic in both ways. Um, just getting them to understand that. But then leadership, even leadership with those organizations have to be dealt with in the same way. You have to recognize you are running an entire organization. So, yeah, you're going to have your um, community based uh PR, your community-based communications, your internal communications with your staff on how you want things to be. But you also, as a leader, have to make better decisions or at least communicate it in a way that your community will understand and continue to support you. There's a couple of things that came out of that. Um, the one thing, though, you talked about, uh, nobody really does see the work. And a lot of times you'll get somebody, well, what am I paying you for? What are you doing? Because <laughs> I'm not seeing all, you're not on CNN or you're not on MSNBC or wherever. <laughs> and and uh, 
it's it's hard work. PR is hard work. One of the things I tell people once we start working together, I say, just watch your LinkedIn. Just just see what happens. Because even getting people to understand now, when you pitch someone or you pitch an idea, the first thing they do is go check social media. They want to see you're a real person. You've been there for a while. You, you, you have some recommendations or some communications going on that makes sense to what it is that the person is pitching. Go see if your views start going up. So even if you don't get a response back, they're looking. Mm -hmm. So now you know that they're looking, you are even more responsible for continuing to deliver good content and great projects. You can't just go do this one great thing and you think, well, I should be on CNN. <laughs> no, they're following a story. So you do that one great thing. I'm going to tell them about that one great thing. But they're also going to be looking to see, is anything else coming from it? What happened before that? It's a it's more of a cultivating thing when it comes to clients that aren't in, you know, our industry. I think that's really a big part of the work is showing them where else they see proof that the work is being done. We were having a short discussion before about athletes, particularly, and some of the issues that come up with them um i'd say a lot of a lot of celebrities if you're young 18 years old and all of a sudden you're dumped a multi-million dollar contract and you've come from a blue collar family uh i don't know about you my first instinct is to piss it all away <laughs> i'm gonna buy stuff and next thing you know i i tell people it's easy enough to lose you know, for millionaires to, to be bankrupt, if you make a million dollars, just spend two. <laughs> but with the athletes, um, some of them get into trouble because they haven't necessarily been streetwise, I should, I'm going to say, because it's, it's in the sense that I use that term because, you know, I came from <laughs> rough neighborhoods. So it's, uh, it's uh, you learn you learn how to um, how to do things and how to how to get a radar to check out the uh, how else do you call it the bullshit meter. So there are cultural issues. Then they get the hangers on. They get the the bad influences. They get the drugs that come with the money, and they don't know what to do with it. And sometimes they listen to their handlers. Sometimes they don't. So there you get the PR nightmares. So. What, I mean, I'm sure you've had many. <laughs> How do you deal with that? How do you get them to listen if they don't want to listen? You know, it's really a cultural thing. Uh, many of them are affected greatly by their upbringing and their family. So understanding, getting an understanding of their dynamic. It is important for me to get to know my clients. And when I say get to know, I get all in their business, like who your parents are, how you were brought up, what that looks like. Sometimes it, you know, we just get sidetracked off of our own bullshit. What we want to do. We want to blow some money. We want to do this thing. Okay, great. I think we all get a moment to do that sometimes, right? People on diets, they have a cheat day. Woo. Okay. Now I'm gonna need you to reel it back in. So being able to a lot times for the BS, because sometimes they just need to blow off that steam and but being able to reel it back in requires that you get to know 
who they are, what makes them tick, what brings out the best in them. Does that mean also pulling their mama in or the wife? I get to know them too. That's important because they want to be successful. You don't hire someone like me if you don't want to be successful. You're just like, ah, I just want to, just want a couple of placements. No, you want to be wildly successful. You want to build a legacy. You want to make sure that your story is told. That requires for me to dig into your story and find your triggers and see what it is that I might need to help me if you tend to go awry. And at the end of the day, it comes down to, listen, I don't want to waste your money or your time anymore. This isn't going to be what you want it to be unless I can get what I need. It's important that there are boundaries set, but maybe that's from my upbringing, right? Maybe that's something that I learned trying to dig myself out of a hole, even understanding the humanization of each person that I deal with. There might be times where it's just not going to work anymore. You cut your losses, but there's a level of communication that takes place where you're setting the expectation. You understand why they might be a certain type of way, but you also have to, you know, maintain your own sanity when you recognize that you're pounding your head up against a brick wall and it's just not happening. And I guess that's probably the difference between working for an agency when you don't have a choice but to deal with certain clients and working for yourself when you can say, mm -hmm. Hey, I'm, I can't, I don't have to, I don't have to do this anymore. Oh my God. Well, let me be clear though, that not every one of them is like that. That's probably one out of, you know, 20 or, or less, or less than that. I don't know. But I mean, I know from the NHL, I mean, you don't see it that often, but uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's not every single celebrity that mm. is like that, but it is when you're young and you are thrown into this lifestyle, it's, it's, well, you see in the music industry, it's, it's, it takes a little bit of growing <laughs> to and, uh, appreciate and a, the money and, yeah. and learn how to deal with it. There's a huge cultural aspect when it comes to that. And yeah, you, you do have to look at the black, white thing, the um, urban and the suburban uh, lifestyle. Even as an entrepreneur, my husband's in tech and, you know, we look at how different families uh, cultivate their children, right? How they teach them about money, how they teach them about wealth, how certain families have gotten their kids got married and they gifted them a house. That doesn't happen in some of these communities where these players are going pro and in the back of their mind, they're really just looking for a way to take care of their mom for the rest of her life because she's worked so hard to get him where he is. So the way that he processes information and money is going to look different than someone that recognizes, okay, I can grow this money and still take care of my mom and my family and thank them for all the support that they've given me. It really just comes down to how you've been cultivated throughout your youth. Are you someone that grew up in a community where there were gunshots often and now you want to go back and show them that you're the big man in town? You know, it's it's really a mindset. Did you have the type of uncles that were trying to help you and get you out of these communities or were they showing you what you could do if you don't leave the community? 
it really matters um, how you were cultivated as a young person as to what becomes of you um, once once you are once you are out of there or you've made it. So mindset is huge. Um, and I, you know, I'm an anomaly. There are people that have been through what I've been through and they're not doing well. And I'll, I'll tell you another quick story. Um, the young boy that was in the house with me the day that my mom and his father was shot and killed, I went to go look for him when I started writing my book, doing the research portion, and he's now serving a life sentence in prison for triple homicide by gun violence. Wow. So everyone does not deal even with the exact same circumstances with life the same way. They don't process it the same way, even if they come from the same exact situation. That breaks my heart, but it also let me know that was that was a moment in writing the book where I was like, oh, Lord. <laughs> I think that's when I started, when I got um, involved with Moms Demand Action in every town to start fighting for gun violence um, deterrence because everyone does not process things like me. You know, it didn't turn out well. And I really don't want that to ever happen to anyone else. It's gonna, but I would do everything that I can to be a part of the solution instead of the problem. A lot of people, I don't even think you have to be a celebrity these days, even if you do everything right, you had no issues in your career, you've had no PR crisis, and then all of a sudden a cyberbully will come out of nowhere and basically hijack your reputation. And there's, you can follow all the steps to uh, try, you know, there's some things you can do step by step, but it comes to that point where if you take them to court, it, it just perpetuates the story more and that's all everybody sees. And then they end up believing the cyber bully. So how, what is your advice to clients when that happens? I mean, sometimes all you can do is just keep on living. I think uh, it's pretty hard to control other people, especially a cyber bully. It is. The worst and thing you can do is shut down your Twitter account. <laughs> that's the worst thing you could do. Listen, um, local politics, computer. <laughs> girl, local politics is one of those things that is just like that. Right. Um, Cause it's not, it's not on a large scale. So I have worked with individuals that are involved in local politics and there are bullies, cyber bullies, because they really want to dominate that geographic area. So they do things to malign people. They do things to um, pounce on their reputation and take them down. And then, you know, when you, you bully people, many times there's not even a lot of things out there you can that can disprove what they're saying because they're just pulling stuff out of the air to make you look bad. But you have to be someone that recognizes and understands behaviors. So I have my clients do nothing, say nothing and don't respond because they live for it. What they say, if you see two, two idiots fighting from, uh, from afar, you can't tell which one's the idiot. <laughs> you just can't. So even on, you know, on the internet, when you see people going back and forth about something, 
at some point you're like, I don't know who the clown is here and who who I'm supposed to listen, don't get involved in those types of things. And they go away. I think that we've learned over time that they do go away. So I always advise keep doing the work. Focus on the goal. Because as long as you're doing the work, they're not going to be able to keep up because a lot of work is done in the background. So if you're doing the work in the background, by the time they catch up to what you're doing, you've already started doing something else. We're launching something new. They can't even keep up. But when you're focused on every other word that someone has to say about you, you ain't getting your job done. You're looking crazy. We have no new projects. We have, I ain't got nothing to uh, pitch other than you and the madness. Listen, stay out of the madness, focus on the goal and let the trolls troll. They have nothing else going on. At least look at it like this. They have nothing going on to the magnitude that you do, or they wouldn't have time to do that. So the yeah, best response life. really is no response. Yeah. Just no response. Exactly. So, so one of the things that drives me nuts as you know, in, in, and in PR and in out of PR when I was in media, the blame the media card game. I mean, I, I don't always remember that. Uh, I just remember that coming, you know, I, maybe about back in 2010, just before I left the NHL, um, you started kind of, things started shifting a little bit on the, you know, when that drives me nuts. What about your clients? Do you, or not your clients, but just in general, when people do that, how does that affect PR? <laughs> you know, I try to work with things that are um, verifiable. We just got through talking about that uh, today. We're in a world now where people can be whatever they want to be. They just say, this is what I am. And that's what the, I am an influencer. I am this and I am that. Okay. Uh, we talked recently about the story in ESPN. Um, they just said, this is, we're amazing and we deserve to be on TV. And they said, okay. And then they found out they're not amazing. So now the viewers are disappointed with the story that they were sold that got them to tune in. Like I can't get my two hours back. What? So when that is a thing, the blame the media thing, in that situation, I mean, you could say, okay, well, I am blaming the media. They put this in front of me. But the truth of the matter is most of the time, especially in sports, I'm checking. I Before I watch anything, I'm checking. Like, what's their record? Who's their star? Where's he from? Where's he going? The minute I got that and decided, oh, this is going to be cool. I'm going to tune in. I would start Googling some of these players, because I want to see where they're going. But that's the athlete in me. That is the coach in me. That is also the PR person in me that has learned that everybody is running around here saying what they are and who they think they are without any verifiable proof. So I think I've wasted enough of my time believing just what someone gives to me or just what someone tells me. And I would implore other people to start doing their research before you go all in, it's just not like it used to be. Even what we were talking about earlier with clients. Okay, well, I'm going to tell this is what I'm doing and this is we're amazing. And you're just going to take it for what it is. People aren't doing that anymore because you have social media. So why not use the tools that are given to you? 
No, it's not blame the media. It's be responsible for your own actions. Be responsible for how you decide to um, allow this concept into your life. Be responsible for this product that you bought. Just because the media commercial or someone told you it was amazing doesn't relinquish your duties and your due diligence when it comes to you paying for it, you indulging in it, you believing it. We have to be those people that one, as a PR professional, bring the proof. My job is to bring the proof, the quotes, the third party endorsements. Most reporters won't even print without me providing some backup, mm -hmm. right? So why is the general public let off the hook for not doing their due diligence? They're not. You have mm -hmm. to do your due diligence. People will tell you anything because they want your money. They want your time. They want your fandom. And when you know this, you have to do better. So yeah, I just, I don't subscribe to the, because the media said, or it's the media's fault. Like we're responsible for our actions. We're responsible for how we engage with products and services. We are just as responsible for um, the information that we consume as those providing the information. What's your favorite part of the job? The people. Oh my God, I love people. I've met some very cool people. You are included. <laughs> and when I say the people, it's really the connection, the, the things that we find that um, resonate with one another, the awkward jokes that happen to be funny to you too. And I'm thinking that I'm, I'm the only weirdo thinking this, the people, I just think with everything that we have gone through in this society at this moment, it is so refreshing to know that most of us have more in common than we do different. Right. And I've always believed that that's the only way that I could have been successful in anything that I've done. I was never in a community where it was just all black people. I can't just relate to like, I really relate as, you know, again, that's culture. I'm from the Bay area. We're all multicultural and whatnot. And I've enjoyed that. That's been, that's a part of my culture, a part of who I am. So my profession, it actually lends to who authentically I have become someone that has been resilient, someone that likes to solve problems and someone that likes to connect with others, regardless of who they are, what they look like or where they're from. I think that's a perfect way to end. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate the opportunity. I'm so glad we connected. Me too. You might have noticed a change in your neighborhood lately. Yep, Sprint stores are now T-Mobile stores. Now that Sprint is T-Mobile, you get more coverage, value, and benefits than ever before. We've invested billions to bring our 5G from big cities to small towns across America. And great coverage is just the start. From high-speed mobile hotspot data to weekly deals and giveaways, our customers get tons of great benefits. Head to your new T-Mobile store to learn more. Qualifying service and capable device required. Coverage not available in some areas. Some uses may require certain plan or features. See T-Mobile.com.